circle centers for Cousins, a shot, and he scores. Dylan Cousins makes it 3-0 Lethbridge. Byram going to take it coast to coast on a backhand, scores! Up to the blue line, Vandalese, the effort, tip, scores! Carson Folk is Mr. Teddy Bear! A deflection. Oh, he scores! It's over! It's over! Game 7, overtime, hero! Hi, hello, and welcome to the WHL Podcast. I'm Zach Hodder, your host and the manager of player development for the Western Hockey League. We have a jam-packed episode for you today featuring a Stanley Cup champion and the only person to give the crowd in Montreal the middle finger and former Moose Jaw Warriors captain and WHL Humanitarian of the Year. But first, it's time for the news and notes. We start with the NHL Awards, where former Prince Albert Raider and Kelowna Rocket Leon Dreisaitl, the Deutschland Dangler, has been named the Hart Trophy and Ted Lindsay Award winner. Dreisaitl becomes the first Western Hockey League player to win the Hart and the Lindsay since Carey Price took home both awards in 2015. Dreisaitl scored 43 goals, added 67 assists for a total of 110 points. Staying in the NHL, three of the five referees selected to work the Stanley Cup Finals are WHL alumni. Steve Kazari, Kelly Sutherland, and Dan O'Rourke are all staying in the bubble a little bit longer as the Tampa Bay Lightning and Dallas Stars battle it out in their quest for the Cup. Kazari is appearing in his third Cup Finals after officiating the 2019 and 2014 Cup Finals. His son Jackson is a current Western Hockey League linesman and referee in training. Sutherland is appearing in his seventh Cup Finals, including the 2019, 2018, 2016, 2015, 2011, and 2010 Cup Finals. He's a veteran of over 1,200 NHL games, and the Richmond, BC native got his start in the NHL on December 19, 2000, when the Atlanta Thrashers took on the Los Angeles Kings. And lastly, O'Rourke, a former WHL player, is appearing in his fourth Cup Finals after officiating the 2016, 2012, and 2011 final. O'Rourke ranks sixth among all active referees with 128 career playoff games. Finally, the WHL podcast would like to take a moment to remember Lethbridge Hurricanes prospect Dylan Ash, who tragically passed away. Ash signed with the Hurricanes as an undrafted free agent and spent last season with the Melfort Mustangs. We would like to extend our heartfelt condolences to his family, his friends, and his teammates. I'm here with former Western Hockey League defenseman, NHL Stanley Cup winner, and the 1998 Memorial Cup champion with the Portland Winterhawks. Currently, he is employed with the NHL as the Director of Social Impact, Growth, and Legislative Affairs, Andrew Ferentz. Andrew, how's your summer been? Well, unique, I guess, like most people, but uh, we're making the most of it. Uh, life goes on to a certain extent. Uh, living in Edmonton, Alberta uh, right now and and sent the oldest daughter off to, to prep school out in the island and the other one's at home doing school right now. So, yeah, it, it's, it was a crazy summer, obviously, with, with lockdown and, and uh, work being conducted like this. But uh, same, same boat as everybody, I guess. Yeah, definitely. It's 
unique in the fact that everybody has to adjust, but everybody's adjusting at the same time and together. And it's just unknown. And we don't know what next week could bring or even next month. So it's a really exciting time with a lot of opportunity. And what, how has it affected <laughs> what you're trying to do? And are there any projects you're currently working on right now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously affected us across the board. I mean, you know, the disruption of the season was uh, obviously has ripple effects across, um, across the whole, uh, the whole business. Um, uh, it's amazing. It's not my department. It's more events uh, that, that put on the bubble uh, here in Edmonton and, and did such an amazing job of, of getting through playoffs here, going into the finals here right away. So that's, that's been a tremendous success uh, as far as pulling that off. On my side, you know, our department, we're, we're more focused on, on the youth level, uh, some of the youth programming, and obviously some government, uh, government affairs issues. Um, so some projects have been able to go forth without uh, much problem at all. We've been primarily working on our, our culture hotline, uh, which is uh, for all of our employees and players and coaches um, to make sure that we're, you know, following appropriate culture throughout, uh, throughout the NHL and business. And, and so I've been working hard on that. And uh, also some street hockey initiatives, which have been a lot more effective because, you know, obviously it's a programming thing with, at our youth level that, you know, youth sports in general has been, you know, put on pause in many parts of North America. So uh, certain aspects we've been able to build up, but uh, pretty tough to actually, you know, implement the programming uh, in, in times like these. So it's been a bit of both, you know, some, some full steam ahead and some, you know, really disrupted uh, things at work. You talked about culture there. You obviously were on a 98 Memorial Cup winning team, a 2011 Stanley Cup winning team. You've been around winning cultures and successful cultures. So what's the type of culture you're trying to develop with the NHL and, and the people that work with you? Well, there's some, you know, very, very straightforward things as, as far as, you know, what's right and what's wrong in today's workplace. And that's no different from the NHL to, to, to most corporations throughout North America now that there's obviously been a, a, a major focus on that over the past uh, past year. And, and the NHL is no different. You know, we're a workplace that's not just hockey players and coaches. You know, we have, uh, you know, a significant number of employees throughout, you know, throughout North America and our uh, New York offices and our uh, Montreal and Toronto offices. So like most places, it's a, it's a normal workplace. Uh, a lot of people that, you know, don't play hockey or don't know a lot about hockey, you know, but, uh, but they, they come to work every day and we're trying to create an environment that, that is positive and, and fair for, for, for everybody. So, um, so yes, you know, it's, it's a culture when we think of a locker room and, and about youth hockey and, and what's acceptable and, and what's, um, you know, creating an environment where everybody feels welcome and has a good time and has an enjoyable time and a positive experience with hockey. Um, but there's also the, the stuff that's completely outside of the arena and just the workplace environment for, for people at the NHL level, but also at our club level. Um, you know, whether you're selling tickets or corporate sponsorship or, or you're on the legal department, um, you know, it's, it's a, pretty, uh, a pretty wide scope when you're, when you're, when you're thinking of stuff like that. But culture in general, I think that, you know, whether it is in the, the locker room or in the middle of some corporation, I think it is pretty simple, right? It is about, you know, being a good person and treating other people, you know, the way you want to be treated. And it's a lot of it falls back to, you know, the stuff that, you know, most of us, I think, probably learned as kids. And, uh, I think the, the most successful teams I had been on, and you know, whether that's the Memorial Cup teams or, or the Stanley Cup teams, we had really strong leadership, you know, from coaches and from general managers and from the older players in the room, the veterans, um, that really drove down that really positive environment, you know. So when you did show up to work, you felt good about yourself, you know, you felt good about the environment that you were part of and, uh, and you felt like you're part of something, you know, much, much bigger than yourself. And so that was, uh, like I said, there's a, there's a lot of things that do transfer from a, a positive, 
you know, team atmosphere into the workplace. Just talking about that transition a little bit more, what has it been like for you transitioning from the dressing room, transitioning from the locker room to a business setting, especially one uh, with the NHL, which is such a high profile league in North America? Were you able to make that transition pretty easily or was there, you know, some aspects of the job that you didn't really realize were going to be as difficult as they've become? Well, it's unique for sure. I, I think it's, you know, spending so long in a locker room and in a team environment, uh, there's always an awareness that it's not normal. <laughs> it's, it's obviously a fairly, uh, a fairly unique position to be in um, and, and things just are done differently and, and things are very immediate. You know, when, when you're in sports, you know, it's all about the here and now today, you know, what are you doing in the gym? What are you doing in practice? What skill are you working on? Did you win? Did you lose? You know, what are you fixing that, that can be implemented in tomorrow's game? You know, so it's a, it's a very, very here and now business where, you know, the, the corporate side, it's, it's, it's long-term stuff. Right. And, and I think even um, the department that I work on, you know, even within the NHL is, is more of a longer term department. We're looking at five, 10, 15, 20 year, you know, projects and, and nudges, uh, you know, you know in, in our sport that, uh, you know, take a lot of patience. So probably one of the bigger adjustments has been, has been that is just the patience to, you know, not expect immediate results and not expect, you know, things to just happen at the drop of a dime. It's really, um, you know, those small nudges to, 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 to get to where you're trying to get to, you know, that was something that I think I've come to really appreciate about, you know, being a hockey player and being in sports is, is the fact that you can, you know, so tactically go after a, a specific area of weakness or a specific thing you want to work on. And over the course of a very short amount of time, get better at it or change it, you know? So I, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it was a big wake up call. We're talking about culture and, and being the good person and patience. And you've certainly demonstrated that your entire career. I mean, we go back to your days in Portland. In 1998, you guys won the Memorial Cup. And then in 1999, you won the WHL Humanitarian of the Year. Oh, you know, do you remember any of the projects that you were involved in that year in Portland that led you to winning the award? Well, you know, in preparation for this call, you know, I was watching the, the previous episode that you guys put out and, and it's been a while. Uh, honestly, I was, I, was look, I was thinking back, I'm like, geez, like, what did, what did we do back then? Um, and, and to be honest, you know, I, not just my career, but even the, the, the things that I did, you know, off the ice, I give, you know, almost, I mean, a lot of credit to my parents. My parents brought me up well, but but to my coach, uh, Brent Peterson, who coached us in Portland and, and obviously went on and, and coached many years in Nashville as well. And he's still involved with the Predators. But um, Brent, Brent was a very, you know, just really good human being. And, and I know when, when I was making the decision whether or not to go to the WHL or go college route, you know, in talking to Portland, I know my parents took good, really good comfort in talking to Brent and, and talking to uh, Ken Hodge, who was there at the time that their, their priority was to develop good men. It wasn't all hockey, right? They talked a lot about school. They talked about the importance of, uh, you know, getting the good education about, you know, being good people. And, and, and I think that was, you know, that was who they were really in their hearts too. That's what, you know, it wasn't just the sales pitch. That's, that's actually how they delivered their messages to us as, as players too in the locker room and what they demanded of us uh, um, as people. And, and so specific initiatives, I mean, we went out, you know, we're in the community and, and I think that the teams now and the players now do way more than we did. It's, it's a lot more of a, a common practice for, for junior teams to get out and, and, and do things much like, I think at an NHL level, they've done for a long time. Um, when I was playing junior, 
um, you know, there's a few things that I went out and did on my own with kids in, 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 in hockey in, in Portland, uh, some different youth services uh, um, that were organized through churches uh, around Portland. Um, I, was, I was quite involved with those. Um, but, you know, there wasn't a ton, to be honest. <laughs> you know, I think the, the guys now have a, have a lot more of a built up system in, within the teams that help them, you know, and guide them in the community to do more community service. Um, but I think at the core of it, uh, you know, like, like I said, going back to, to Brent is he constantly stressed uh, that, you know, he wanted to build good men and good human beings. And, and in turn, that will create a good hockey team. You know, if you have good people and if you have people that are, that are uh, you know, striving to be good, you know, good human beings, uh, in turn, that will develop, you know, a good hockey team. I'm a big fan of rugby as well. So I actually am a, a huge you know, rugby fan and I, I've read, read a lot and actually gotten to know a couple uh, New Zealand All Blacks and it's somewhat their, their philosophy as well. And so it's one of the most successful sports franchises or, you know, sports, uh, sports teams in the world. And, and, and really that's, that's their core values as well too, right? Like they go after good human beings and they, they, they stress the importance of uh, developing good people and they'll pick good people over good talent because they know the importance of that. Right. And so I think, uh, you know, Brent could have, you know, been on the staff of the All Blacks because, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the things that he was teaching us as, as young junior players really falls in line with, with, with their belief system as well. And, and, uh, you know, I give him full credit for opening my eyes as a 16 year old, because, you know, I was pretty clueless to most things in life at that age. And, and he, he really taught me a lot. You talked about um, choosing good people over good players. And I think one of the most famous stories about you is in 1997, you were unranked before the NHL draft and you sent a letter to every single NHL GM pretty much detailing in a, and what you know, if you went to school it would be an academic paper about why you should be an <laughs> NHL player. I mean, when I reread that today, researching you before this, it's unbelievable that you had the foresight to do that. And not only did you get drafted in the eighth round by the Pittsburgh Penguins, but you ended up playing 30 games with Pittsburgh two years later. So what went into that decision to write that letter? And then the second thing is, what did you do once you got to Pittsburgh to show them that you were a guy that at a very young age could come in and play important games and important minutes for them? Yeah, it's funny to look back. I mean, <laughs> what, what, what went into it? I mean, a recipe of really good self-confidence, <laughs> uh, a chip on my shoulder, uh, probably from not being ranked, um, and, 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 and a dose of desperation. I think, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of all of it, I guess. I mean, we had a lot of success in, in Portland. I had, you know, a great junior career and, you know, but I knew, you know, at the time it was, it was an era of very big defensemen, right? So, you know, I had a, definitely had a, a disadvantage being five foot 10, you know, trying to get drafted in the NHL at that time. So, um, you know, so at the time, yeah, I wasn't ranked uh, at all. And it wasn't, uh, the combine wasn't held in the fashion that it is today, you know, where it's a huge event, but there was uh, an element of, of testing that was being done, you know, by, you know, by teams, you know, for the, you know, high, you know, higher prospects. And I, I always knew that, you know, I would do really well in that kind of testing, you know, fitness was always a big part of what I took pride in as being a fit player. And, and, and I knew that if I took those tests, I could, you know, really do well against, especially against some other players. And so included with that letter, of just, you know, explaining like, hey, look, I'm not ranked. <laughs> I think I should be, I think you should take a chance on me kind of thing. Um, I also included um, uh, testing scores, you know, because I went and did my own testing at the University of Alberta, who basically had, you know, the same protocols for, for the testing that they're doing at the NHL level and based and gave my numbers. You know, I said, you know, obviously not being ranked, you know, I don't have the opportunity to do this. 
but you know, here's my numbers anyways, kind of thing. <laughs> and, and I think it, uh, like I said, you know, the desperation side of it was, was knowing that, you know, I, I sacrificed a lot, you know, to take one chance at, at, uh, you know, making the NHL and making hockey a thing. If you don't really go after it with everything you got, like what's the point, right? And, and so at that point, you know, if I wasn't going to get drafted, you know, I knew the road would be much, much tougher. You know, it's harder to get your foot in the door if you don't get drafted. You know, can it happen? 100%, of course. Like being drafted is not the end all and be all, but, uh, but without a doubt, you know, getting your foot in the door, getting a chance to go to a training camp um, is, a, is a huge step for any player. Um, and, and so, yeah, you know, credit, you know, you know, to the penguins that took me, I think actually Brent <laughs> back to the coach, I think he put in a, a good solid word for me uh, uh, when a couple uh, teams did call back after I had sent that out. And, and, and he said, no, like take a chance, you know, like it's an eighth round pick, you know, who else are you going to pick at that point? So, uh, you know, they did take a chance and, and I, you know, made it a mission as an, as a late round pick, you get one opportunity to, to make yourself self stand out from others. And so I, I took full advantage of that, you know, went to Pittsburgh. They did have physical testing at, at a, a training camp. Um, I've always been a big cyclist and, 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 uh, you know, pay a lot of attention to my fitness. So I did really well in my fitness testing, which uh, allowed me to stand out from the crowd immediately. And then in the, our first kind of inner squad game, you know, where, team white versus team yellow or whatever it was. Um, I ended up getting in a fight with the, the guy that was drafted in the first round before you know, big defenseman and I did all right. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it just played, played my heart out. Right. You know, I had, you know, I had a few days to make a name for myself and played my heart out and just did everything I could to, to just try to stand away, you know, apart from the crowd. And, and uh, there, there's certain things in, in hockey and, and, and in your career that you can control and then there's a lot that's completely out of your control, right? So I was just concentrated on like, here's the five things that I have direct control over, you know, how I play, how I work out, you know, how I, I'm preparing myself. And then I just had, you know, the resignation that, you know, some of it's just going to be out of my control and there's only so much you can do, right? So yeah, I, you know, it was good, good, good hard work and, and good fortunate timing and luck as well to go in a situation uh, like Pittsburgh, where, you know, a defenseman got hurt and, you know, there's the right type of coach, you know, for my style of play and I got a chance. So sometimes it just has to work out too. And you made the most of that chance. Four seasons in Pittsburgh, four seasons in Calgary, seven in Boston, and then you finished your career with the Edmonton Oilers. And you were involved in causes all the way throughout your career. In 2006, you reached out to Right to Play. And then the one project I'd like to ask you about is the November Project, which you were a part of in Boston is where it started, I believe. And it's continued all the way on from, I think, 2000 and, 2011 or 13, one of those two. Yeah, and so it's, just, it's been a while. Yeah. yeah, can you just explain kind of what the idea behind the November project was and, and why um, it's exploded kind of the way it did? Yeah, it was an interesting one. I mean, I, I think uh, just get to get my dates straight too. I think uh, 2011 was the NHL lockout. It was the second one that I went through. Um, so I was in Boston um, training, getting ready for the season, and then obviously going into a lockout. Um, and extended, you know, our preparation time. So I was doing a lot of uh, workouts at Harvard Stadium. It was open access stadium and, and running stairs was, was always a thing that really helped me. So I'd run the stairs there. And I, I had a mutual friend that, that uh, you know, told me to hook up with this other crew that was, that was running stairs and had some super fit uh, people uh, out there. So I went and joined them one day. 
and it was a yeah really super strong group that was uh, you know really welcoming and 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 nice and it was these guys that started this thing called the November Project because frankly they didn't have a lot of money to go to gyms and stuff and and uh, they hated working out alone and they wanted to you know keep each other accountable so they created this group where you know they kind of committed to each other to to show up and run these stairs every Wednesday and then that turned into like okay let's do this every Monday as well and it just kind of built up to you know this this you know, group that was, was highly accountable to each other, super positive and free, right? Like anybody can come super inclusive, you know, very welcoming to, you know, whoever wanted to come, you know, be a positive, uh, a positive member of that kind of community. And so I, I, I did that in Boston, uh, worked out with them, ran stairs, you know, had these, you know, great moments with this, this great group of people. And then when I you know, signed in Edmonton, um, as a free agent, that was a lot of fun, right? I met, met new friends and, and had this kind of group outside of hockey that I really enjoyed being around. And and, uh, and I assumed that the same kind of a, a group could work in Edmonton. So I kind of put the word out and, and I enlisted the help of my sister uh, to, to help kind of lead it because, you know, I was still playing hockey. And then, uh, you know, one of the guys that showed up to the very first workout here in Edmonton, uh, when I put it out, he ended up being a very close friend as well. So I, I asked him to, to help lead, a, uh, you know, when I had to go back to the, to the season of playing and I wouldn't be able to show up every morning. And so uh, between him, his name is Nadim Shin and my sister Jen, they took over leadership and then I would pop in as kind of like a assistant leader, you know, when I could, when I was home. And we created this community in Edmonton as well, uh, much like the Boston one that met, you know, three days a week in the mornings and, and ended up being all year round, even in the middle of the winter. And it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's been going for many, many years. You know, I've stepped away from leadership, you know, in the last year, uh, year and a bit, but it still goes on. And we built this great community of hundreds of people that, uh, yeah, it, it gets together, has made incredible friendships, you know, different bonds of the city and, and has, um, you know, been fit, just, you know, changed, changed lives through kind of this real simple, uh, you know, simple idea of, of just free fitness and, and good positive community. Yeah, it's a grassroots community initiative, which is, you know, something you've been famous for your whole career. It's a big part of why you won the King Clancy Award in 2014. And I'm sure it's a, a big reason why you got hired by the NHL after you retired. And what was that like when you retired? Did you know that there was a position at the NHL for you or was it something that you reached out to them and, and had some ideas and some conversations just went from there? Yeah, I had some pre-existing relationships with NHL just because uh, while I was playing, you know, with the union, I started uh, a carbon neutral challenge. So an environmental initiative uh, within our union where uh, I challenged guys to, to carbon offset their entire year of travel uh, as individual players. And so that, that ended up being a pretty, uh, a pretty cool initiative that uh, started in Calgary and, and kind of spread out to, to other teams, um, you, you know, while I was playing, while I was playing for the Flames. And uh, through that, I met uh, people that worked at the NHL um, who eventually started at NHL Green, which is the environmental platform at the NHL where, uh, you know, where they're doing you know, all the initiatives uh, as well. And, and so I had those, those relationships uh, and worked a bit with them as a player, got to know uh, the commissioner, um, a little bit through that, but also through uh, collective bargaining, uh, through the lockouts I went through. And then the last couple of years that I was uh, in the NHL, I, I wanted to finish up some of my schooling and, and kind of further educate myself on some of the environmental uh, issues that I was, I was very interested in. So I, I took uh, schooling through Harvard uh, Extension School. 
uh, and was went into corporate sustainability and innovation for the last couple of years uh, that I was playing uh, for the Oilers. And so I finished up, uh, I finished up that program and, uh, you know, put some meat, you know, educational meat on the, on my passion around uh, the environment and sustainability. And uh, that really just kind of fit well with, with some of the work that uh, my department's, you know, my, my current department at NHL was doing on sustainability, obviously, you know, working, uh, working for a big corporation, you know, it's not just about being green, but like, how does that affect business, you know, and, and so that really lined up with what I was learning at school. And, and so really, there's you know, a bit of both things. I, I was getting older and knew that my career was obviously winding down. The writing was on the wall there. So like, like all hockey players, there's, there's a long life after hockey. And, and I knew that I, I didn't want to just sit around. I'm not a big golf fan. So it's just, you know, I wanted to, you know, have a, have something to wake up in the morning and work towards and have projects. And this is something that, you know, I obviously care deeply about and, and you know, fortunate enough that, you know, I can stay in hockey, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's also another part of my life that, uh, you know, means a lot to me. You know, the more you talk, the more I think what makes you such an interesting person is how, you know, there's this uh, caricature of an NHL hockey player who's just one dimensional. And I mean, you have so many different avenues in your life of the projects that you're interested in, the, the causes that you want to be involved in. You know, it's just, uh, it's inspiring to hear, even for me, um, just to hear about your life and everything that you're continuing to do. But with that being said, yeah. outside of winning the Stanley Cup, what do you think is your biggest accomplishment or the thing that you look back on throughout your career that you said, that you believe affected the most people? Oh, man. I, you know, I think like to, to the original point, I think I take, I take a lot of pride and I actually, I did learn from other players that I played with. You know, I think, I think probably one of the things I strive to be was, you know, complex, right? Like to, to have different things going on and to make sure that I was investing my, my time and energy into uh, to many things. And, and I think that's probably, you know, that is almost what I lead with when I, when I give advice to younger players, you know, guys that are trying to make the NHL or WHL or, or different levels of hockey is, is I, I, the advice I give is don't lose you know, your interests and your curiosity and your passion for things other than hockey, you know, make sure that you're investing in those other parts of your life and those other parts of your brain that, that aren't about hockey, make sure that you're creating friends outside of hockey, you know, because it is very, very important, you know, not only while you're playing to have an escape from the game and to make sure that you have, you know, other things in your life that you can balance out, you know, the pressures of playing and, and the stress that comes with, with trying to make it um, in, in hockey, um, but, but for sure, of course, after hockey, it, it helps you out by making sure that you, you have other interests and you have other things that you're capable of doing and things that you're interested in and friends that are interested in other things that, that aren't just about the game. Right. So that is, that is probably the top advice that I give to, uh, you know, to, to other people, because it actually, I think helps your performance as well. You know, it gives you a, a level of, of confidence that, you know, should I blow my knee out next game? It's, it's all right. It's not the end of the world. I have other things that I care about. Right. So I think that, you know, as far as impact, I mean, yeah, the Stanley cup, it's pretty tough to beat. You know, it's a, a great moment personally, but also, you know, it's, it's a huge kind of payoff for all those people that help support me in, in, in chasing this dream. Right. But, but I think, you know, as far as impact goes, I think, you know, setting an example for, for younger teammates, um, you know, showing, um, showing younger teammates or other people, you know, that may be coming through hockey that you can have, 
you know, a lot of things going on in your life and it doesn't detract from you as a hockey player. It doesn't make you a worse player to have other interests outside of the game uh, to show younger teammates that, you know, you don't have to fit this mold of what you think a hockey player is. You don't have to love golf. <laughs> it doesn't matter, <laughs> you know, if, if you don't, uh, you don't have to love country music. You know, if you're from Alberta and play hockey, it's fine if you do, but you don't have to. <laughs> You know, and I think the, you know, building those cultures uh, like we did in Boston, um, you know, like we had in Calgary, you know, uh, like we started in Edmonton, where, you know, to make sure that it was, it was inclusive of, of, you know, whoever you are, you know, you don't have to fit this mold of what you think of Boston Bruin is, you know, we want you to show up uh, to the rink and, and be you. And, and we think that, you know, we had really good leadership on those teams where, uh, that was really important to, uh, you know, to our success as a team is that, you know, people showed up as hockey players to play the game, but they also showed up as, as who they were as people, right? And, and we're not all the same. You know, we all have our, our things and we all have our differences and we all have, you know, things that make us unique. And, you know, when you show up to work and we show up to a, a work, you know, like the type, type of work that we did where it's very high performance, you don't want anything holding you back, right? And, and I think that, you know, by showing up as, as who you are as a person and, and comfortable in your own skin and, and, and what you're all about, we're going to get the best performance out of you. And, and so I think that's the legacy of, of some of those, you know, things is, is hopefully those guys that I played with that were younger than me, guys that, you know, saw the type of atmosphere that we were trying to build, you know, hopefully they, you know, saw the success of that and, and helped build that on the teams that they're involved with, you know, whether they're as players and many of them will go on to be coaches or general managers and it's that generational shift of, of, of making that, you know, kind of culture kind of per pervasive through hockey. Pervasive through all of hockey. Currently with your new role with the NHL, you've been in a couple of years. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day today. Um, yeah. I really appreciate it. And best of luck to you with the NHL. Yeah, I appreciate it. That's great that you guys are doing these conversations. Our next guest went from undrafted to the captain of the Moose Jaw Warriors. In 269 WHL games, he found the back of the net 81 times and added 119 assists for an even 200 career points. Shemitz, and Shemitz now skates up the left side into the Moncton zone. Centers in front, score! Fioretti just skated straight down the ice. Off the boards, Fioretti shoots, scores! What a goal by Fioretti! It's a Pufal. Cross ice, Fioretti left circle. Fioretti shoots, scores! I think. Hi, today I'm here with former Moose Jaw Warriors captain Sam Fioretti. Sam, you're currently waiting on Hurricane Teddy to make landfall in Halifax where you are. How are you doing and uh, what have you done to prepare for the hurricane that's coming through? Uh, I've prepared a little bit differently than I did for the storms in Moose Jaw, to say the least. It's, uh, it's my first hurricane, so stocked up on some uh, canned tuna and non-perishables. 
So you're back in the Maritimes. You went to Acadia for four years. You got your biology degree. Uh, tell us about what you're studying right now and where you're studying. Yeah, so now I'm at uh, Dalhousie University um, doing my MBA. Like you've mentioned, I did a biology undergraduate there at Acadia and then uh, kind of transitioned more towards the business world here at Dalhousie. What made you want to take your MBA and not continue with the biology route? I mean, I, I was in researching you. I read a very long document, your thesis that you wrote at Acadia. It was very detailed on the biology of two foot landing on jumps, but now you've moved to the business world. So has your experience led you to this or is this something you've always wanted to do? Well, first off, I'd like to thank you for being the third person to read that besides me and my mother. So that's awesome. But uh, yeah, no, I, um, I did my biology undergraduate degree, always focused on going into um, healthcare. Um, I was trying to do medicine, ultimately didn't get into medicine after a couple tries. So I wanted to go back to school as um, my biology undergraduate degree just didn't open up enough doors for me. So I looked at uh, doing my MBA as a way to kind of leverage my science background and a business background towards a future in business or a career in business down the road with things like environmental energy, biotech, things like that. In today's world, leveraging those two degrees, I thought was a, a good step for me to take. I mean, it sounds like you've already got to figure it out. And again, uh, there's a reason that in 2014, you're the CHL and WHL Humanitarian of the Year. If you can remember back to then, do you remember any of the projects or any of the initiatives that you took part in that led you to winning that award? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, when people ask me about the uh, Humanitarian of the Year Award, for me, it always comes back um, and it's with a lot of community initi initiatives with a lot of people you see. It's about finding something that you're passionate about. So with myself, I started the, uh, I can't say myself personally, James Gallo, long list of people through Moose Jaw that uh, helped with the programs, but uh, an anti-bullying campaign because somebody in my life was uh, adversely affected by bullying to an extreme degree and I wanted to give back in any way that I could and then the other one was a youth fitness program which obviously is athletes and role models in the community it was a good way to leverage my athletic ability and uh, recognition I had in the community towards that initiative. Well you spent four years in Moose Show with the Warriors you at the start of your career were on some teams that uh, it definitely looked like at the time had every possibility to compete for a WHL championship. And as you progressed through and became the leader and ultimately the captain your last season there, you had some very, very talented young players coming up, including Braden Point. What can you remember about Braden from the time he was 15 when he joined you guys for that playoff run uh, up until your last year in the Western Hockey League? Pointer, uh, I, I don't know really, no, I don't know what to say about Pointer that hasn't already been said. I mean, what he's doing now, I'd like to say that I'm surprised, but I mean this with the utmost respect to him, but I think he's doing what he's supposed to be doing because he was an unbelievable player. I remember him coming in at 15 years old. I'm 18. I established myself and all of a sudden this 15 year old comes in and he's scoring overtime winners and things like that. I just remember that Pointer was always the best player on the ice no matter what ice surface we were on. He loved the game. He was the first person on the ice, the last person off. And I mean, what he's accomplishing now, I'd like to say that I'm surprised or anything like that, but I honestly just believe he's accomplishing what, accomplishing what he was supposed to. Tremendous player in incredible shape. And I mean, if you saw him off the ice when you're playing junior hockey, uh, he could have been blown over by a, a sturdy wind. Um, so what he was able to do and what he's continued to do is just beyond impressive. But you talked about establishing yourself there in the Western Hockey League. You were an undrafted player that came into Moose Jaw 
uh, what was that experience like for you? And what do you think you did to earn your spot and then ultimately become a very important person for the Moose Jaw Warriors for four seasons? I think that um, to answer that question, I think just to say what I did would be a little bit naive. I think that with uh, hockey, especially today, all the skills coaches, the off-ice training, I went to crash conditioning for years, things like that helped me learn how to become a major junior hockey player, as well as the fact that I was always motivated to make the WHL, even going undrafted. I think that the draft is so early that it's hard to determine whether or not players are going to make it and things like that. And I think that it's kind of a learning process. I mean, I'm obviously doing academia now, but there's so many players that go on draft and go on to the NHL. It's ultimately, I think it was just a work ethic along with the uh, people I had kind of leading me in the right direction. As you said, you're currently in the world of academics, but when you came to the end of your Western League career, you, you realistically, you have a couple options. I mean, number one, you can just go be a degenerate and do nothing, or you can take advantage of your WHL scholarship, uh, go to school like you did, or you can go try to play pro. I mean, for yourself, you chose to go to Acadia University, which is in uh, Wolfsville, Nova Scotia, I believe, correct? Yes, that's correct. When you had the opportunity to go to Acadia, what factored into that choice over, you know, the U of A or the U of C, where you're from, that led you ultimately to hop on a plane to the East Coast? I think that uh, first off, the decision to go to school, I think it's, it's different for everybody. Um, I was always, my parents always instilled in me, academics was extremely important. Coming out of the WHL, I didn't have the NHL offers or anything like that. So obviously that would have uh, transitioned it towards me going to pro. The, uh, the scholarship package that the WHL offers, I remember sitting in undergraduate classes talking about the scholarship package that's put forward. And there's these students that are going into uh, taking out student loans, going into debt, and just the scholarship package that offered, I felt like I had to take advantage of that. So at the end of my uh, 19 year old season, actually, my sister was graduating from Acadia and I came out for the uh, graduation weekend. And I'll just say that I had a little bit of fun on the weekend and really enjoyed it. And then uh, when I was going through the recruiting process as not making the playoffs my 20 year old year, I may have uh, gone on about as many recruiting trips as I could possible, travel across Canada. And I kind of learned through that experience, I wanted a smaller school. So it ended up coming down for me between St. FX and Acadia and just having uh, the connection to Acadia with my sister, as well as offering the biology program that I was looking for, ended up leading me towards Acadia University. Well, you graduated from Acadia um, with a degree, as we've already mentioned, in biology, and then you went to play one year in the ECHL. What was that season like? Was professional hockey at the ECHL level what you expected it to be? And, and then why did you ultimately decide to, to only play one season of pro? Yeah, so it was, uh, yeah, I, I first off, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was, you know what, I have to say that it was, it was better hockey than what I was expecting. I didn't have like horrible expectations or anything like that, but there's truly are some really good players in there in that league that you look at them and the reason they're not in the American League is just because the American League has so, like already has so many good players, right? There's people that can play there, but they just get sent down due to numbers. And then yeah, so I decided to only play one season because I was actually applying uh, to medical school during the, uh, the, during the season. And I always wanted to just kind of check that off the list of playing one year of professional hockey and then uh, transition back towards academics. Didn't end up getting into med school at that point. So I just transitioned towards the working, uh, working world. But for me, it was always just a one year type of thing. Oh, that's awesome. And, and you gave yourself the opportunity to do that by 
you know, working hard when you're in the Western Hockey League, but also working hard when you were at Acadia as well to make sure that once you graduated, you knew that that opportunity was still going to be there for you. Uh, I guess my last question for you here is you've had an extensive hockey life. You've now transitioned into the, the academic side and your, your business career is it's going to start taking off here. But when you look back on your hockey career, is there a moment or, or a game that you look back on as that's my favorite hockey moment? I don't, I can't say that there's a singular moment or a singular game. I think that uh, as a broad scope, it's being around teammates at times in the dressing room. It's the memories you have in that capacity. I mean, being, I guess, two years out of hockey now, that's the thing that I miss the most. But if you were to pressure me on one uh, hockey moment, it would definitely be during my 18-year-old year on our um, run to the Eastern Conference Final. Just the group of the group of guys that we had um, winning those series, that was uh, definitely I guess the, uh, the pinnacle of my uh, WHL career and I guess most fun I had in my sports career. Sam, thank you so much for taking time out of your day today. Hunker down, uh, eat those non-perishable food items, maybe space it out. You never know, but uh, best of luck as you get going on your MBA out there at Dalhousie. Thank you very much. That's it for this week's edition of the WHL podcast. Thank you to Andrew Ferentz and Sam Fioretti, as well as yourself for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Zach Hodder. You can follow the Western Hockey League at the WHL. I hope you have a great weekend, and I'll see you again next Wednesday.